Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. What's up, folks? Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Last day of May, 2022. Hope all of you are doing well. Had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. I was busy this Memorial Day weekend. Had a couple of cookouts to go to, and then uh, Sunday and Monday, had a lot of uh, stuff around the house. My mom's coming uh, to visit. Uh, and so we're trying to get the backyard squared away, building the deck, all that good stuff. So yours truly has been <clears throat> out in the sun <laughs> making things happen. Uh, lots to talk about today. Uh, I want to thank uh, Heritage Digital, of course, for sponsoring the news and notes segment. Um, first and foremost, uh, the news broke. I guess the state newspaper reported it. We've been saying that a while. Mark Kingston's coming back to South Carolina as the baseball coach. Uh, kind of a strange decision as far as I'm concerned. I, uh, If you get follow me on Twitter, you kind of know how I feel about it. Um, it's really nothing against Mark Kingston. I, I think he's a, probably a pretty good guy and, you know, certainly uh, coaches the game to win, I guess. But, uh, man, I, I just don't understand it. It's uh, it doesn't follow the precedent that's been set in other sports as far as the athletic department goes. Uh, so if it's their decision, uh, it's a little weird. And then if it's the BOT's decision, and, and I, I made the point on Twitter too that the BOT had that very public uh, ridiculousness about buyouts. Now, I, but I don't know. I mean, I, I should have clarified it probably that uh, I don't know if it's their call or not. It could be Tanner's call. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I look at it and I, I you know, I, I don't know that, you know, unless Ray Tanner knows something that, that, that we don't, and certainly if he's evaluating a baseball program and thinks their young players in the program right now are going to lead the game back to championship level baseball, 
You know, I, I don't know what the thinking is there. South Carolina in 50 years has not had uh, – they, they had two two losing seasons prior to Kingston in 50 years, and then they've had um, two uh, – or, or below 30 wins, I'm sorry. Uh, one 500, one losing season. It's only the third losing season uh, the Gamecocks have had – or second uh, since uh, Bobby Richardson took over. Uh, you know, you and I think the first one was June Reigns last year, uh, and then Tanner was hired. He didn't have a losing record, neither did Holbrook. Uh, and now we're looking at Kingston in two out of four full years, 28 and 28, 27 and 28. The 28 28 was bad because they, I think they won nine games uh, in the SEC. Uh, you know, and you can spit it however you want, uh, you know, and, and, and here's another reason why it doesn't make sense to me is, okay, so you had the COVID year. That's true. That's factual. That, that's probably a factor. Uh, you know, that year was canceled. We, we don't know how that year would have turned out. Maybe it's in a regional. Maybe it's not. I, I didn't see signs that it was uh, going to be a very good team. Uh, they were 12 and four, but <clears throat> you know, like I said, they lost to Northwestern and Clemson in, series, in a series. So that's uh, – uh, it, it wasn't, you know, a stellar start by program standards, and, and that's kind of what it's, it's about. But they did have the COVID year. And then this year, a lot of injuries. Well, you know, let, let, let's look at some other sports. Um, Will Muschamp, 4-8, uh, 2019 got another year, but then fired after two and five in a COVID year with a lot of injuries, you know, and then Muschamp had a lot of injuries during his, his tenure. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have made a change. You know, I was about to, that time. It was time for a new day, a new era in Carolina football, uh, probably more egregious. Uh, and, and I don't know, you know, what Lamont Paris is going to do here or not. Uh, he hadn't coached a game yet. I'm giving him a shot. And I, you know, I think they're working hard in basketball right now, uh, trying to put a roster together. But, uh, you know, Frank Martin, they were going to fire him after the COVID year, too. And we all know what happened. The politics stepped in and said no. Um, that was a team that had a lot of injuries. That was a team that struggled with COVID. Uh, you know, and the, the bounce back and they won 18 and then they fired. Him. You know, no postseason. So that's, uh, you know, that, that it's kind of weird that there's a higher standard relative to the historical performance of the program in men's basketball in terms of hiring and firing than there is in baseball, which is a sport where South Carolina's played for six national championships uh, and won two in a row uh, not long ago. And But I'm going to tell you this, the, the, those those years are – fastly quickly going in the rear view mirror. You can barely see it because uh, it's been a, a, a brutal, brutal decade of Carolina baseball after, after that program was a model of consistency for years. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, what the thinking is, the thought process is there, you know, I, I, I like I said, I, I'm, it's really not, about Mark Kingston and, 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 and him personally or anything like that. It's just basically about the standard of the baseball program. Baseball is a sport that people care about at South Carolina. You know, it, it's not, 
just a pay non-revenue sport, 11.7 scholarships, you know, whatever. You know, they built a very a fantastic ballpark to play in. Uh, and I know, like, compared to some other schools, it maybe needs an upgrade or two here or there. Um, and I'd like to see that investment take place at some point. But, you know, I, I don't know that it's wise, you know, to put baseball on the back burner at the University of South Carolina. Uh, and I get it. You know, I, I get the financial part of it. Um, the, the buyout situation is, is you know, it, it looks big. Let's call it for what it is. I mean, you know, 2.2 million. And, you know, I, I don't think that it's that. It goes down every day from what I understand. But, you know, you, you sort of look at it and it's like, wow, you, you know, okay. Uh, number one. I'm not so sure that buyout was warranted after the flop in the regionals last year um, when he had an opportunity to get to Omaha. And, and, and that's what's frustrating, I think, for a lot of folks is in all sports, you know, with the exception of the Final Four run, uh, and, and I'm not talking about women's basketball. Women's basketball is kind of on its different level. All men's sports, major men's sports. Uh, for the past seven years or so, eight years, going on it's it's been a story largely of missed opportunity at a lot of different key points you know must champ era and football is full of times when you know i've said this before everybody got fired up they're ready to get back on board support the program sell out the stadium face plan you know men's basketball was like that with the exception of the final four year you know you, you get on a run you start winning you know and then face plan baseball face plan, you know, uh, opportunity face plan, you know, and that's, that's kind of been the story of Carolina athletics. Um, and I think that the failure to make a move here, uh, could be another missed opportunity, uh, just based on kind of what I know about the coaches available to take the job and that would like to have the job. I, I, I just, you know, it baffles me. You know, it, it was an opportunity, I think, to to right the ship and to get people excited again about the program. Uh, and now you're basically going into a year next year where it, it's probably super regionals or bust. Uh, you know, and, 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 and that gets tricky in baseball because there's baseball type things that happen in that sport. And you can have a really good season and then, you know, get eliminated in the regionals. And, and, and then what do you do? You know, uh, do you fire the guy for getting to the regionals and just you know, everybody had a bad day hitting or pitching or whatever, or you ran into a hot team, you know, based on, you know, last year you put a mandate on them. I mean, it was the same thing with Frank Martin. I mean, by all accounts, he, he they cycled back up after the COVID year. It wasn't good enough to get to the postseason. Um, but look, I mean, I, 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 I'm just confused, baffled, uh, surprised, shocked, uh, because, you know, like I said, you kind of have, when it comes to things like this, you, you have patterns that happen. You have, you know, in other sports, you can kind of tell, you know, what's going on, you know, what, what kind of the line of the, the, the point of no return is you know, in, in some instances. 
And, uh, you know, you kind of know the standards of every program and you, you have to meet those standards. And I think that's the case with any job. You know, you, 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 you don't really get by and have ultra success meeting the minimum standard. Uh, but if you're below that and you're not even making that, but 50% of the time, you know, you're, you're going to get fired. Um, you're not going to have your job. You know, so I, I don't really know what the rationale is or, or the reasons or whose decision it ultimately was. I know the university's in a time of great transition with a new president coming in. Um, I know there's a lot of other things going on. You know, you got the board of trustees situation that I've documented here. But I'm just surprised. I'm surprised. And I'm going to tell you this, uh, folks, I, I'm going to hate to see the reaction uh, from the fan base at large. And, and I think this is going to happen uh, if Clemson moves on for Monty Lee. Uh, he's missed the tournament two years in a row up there. Uh, what I was told was Clemson baseball means too much to have that happen. And if they go higher, you know, Godwin from East Carolina or Link Jarrett from Notre Dame or Kevin O'Sullivan from Florida, you know, name your coach. I mean, we all know that in this state, you know, what Clemson and Carolina both, they, they kind of pay attention to each other, right? And so I, I would hate to see it. Uh, I hate to see it if that happens, and I think it will. And so that's, uh, you know, that's just unfortunate, you know. And, and I, as a fan base, I feel for you guys. You know, those of you that care about baseball, I feel for you. Um, and that's, uh, that's tough. That's very tough. Um, more news, Trovon Ball, uh, offensive lineman from Atlanta Pace. He becomes the second known commitment for the Gamecocks in the 2023 recruiting class in football. Uh, big, powerful offensive lineman. I mean, uh, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit of Chris White uh, that used to play for the Gamecocks uh, out of Chester, and he was a multi-year starter, I think. Uh, maybe could be a little better than that, really. Uh, really good feet, athletic. You know, Arkansas offered him, Auburn offered him. Uh, he had a lot of SEC offers uh, out of pace in Atlanta. I think his stock is probably on the rise. Of course, you never know. He commits South Carolina. South Carolina, you know, you don't know if he'll get reevaluated or not. But, you know, I, I think that's exactly the type of, type of offensive lineman that can come into the SEC and compete. You know, we, we all know it's tough, right, because you, you play great defensive lines. But, uh, you know, I think that um, – I think that's another good pickup. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. He was the second silent verbal commit. I've known that for a while. I just, you know, we don't we don't go public with the silence, although we know who they are a lot of the time. And so he was uh, the second welcome home for those of you keeping score. Um, and then uh, Zabari Sandy was the third. And then the first one hasn't gone public yet. But uh, we'll kind of see how that goes moving forward and, and monitor all of that, but uh, recruiting is about to pick up. Uh, June first is tomorrow. That's uh, a big time recruiting period for the Gamecocks, and so <laughs> uh, and and that's kind of an understatement. Um, Hill McGranahan, by the way, has a big uh, article about visits and, and things of that nature. 2023, 2024, 2025 class. Um, interesting receiver that Carolina offered the other day that's coming in for camp uh, on June 4th. Uh, Dadrian Zipperer, 
Uh, and his brother Keon plays for Florida. He's pretty good tight end. Um, I know when he came out, I wasn't all that fired up about him. I thought Trey Kenyon was a little better. And heck, Trey Kenyon may end up being a little better because Trey Kenyon is doing pretty well right now. But, uh, you know, Zipper had the four star. His brother's a receiver, so it's a different kind of player. Uh, seems to be pretty fast, though. Um, like him a lot. Uh, five star Missouri defensive end, Shandavi and Bradley is going to visit. Uh, Sterling Lucas has done a good job with him recruiting him. He's from Missouri. Uh, I think outside of Kyle Markway, I can't remember the Gamecocks getting a guy out of Missouri, but uh, he's from Missouri, Carolina, Texas, A&M, Tennessee. So you got NIL University number one, NIL University number two, and then the Gamecocks. But uh, there's been something about South Carolina and his recruitment that he's really, really liked. And, And so, you know, Unfortunately, we're in the NIL era, and he's a big, big, big-time player. So, you know, I don't know if the Gamecocks be able to, to win that battle or not. You know, and he's an unofficial visitor coming in. You know, so I think the, the, the hope is, you know, that, that you get him in and he comes back and takes an official and you just keep working him and working him, and who knows what will happen on the NIL front if he makes a decision later on. Um, Tennessee's probably the team to beat right now for him, unfortunately, for the Gamecocks. But, uh, you know, you don't want to see him. And, you know, then they got James Pierce that they got last year. You know, those two guys, they're, they're kind of thinner guys. So Pierce, Pierce and Bradley both will take a little while. But once they get there, man, those guys are cat quick off the edge. They're exactly what Carolina needs right now in this class, and they need a bunch of them, too. They need more pass rushers. Um, so, or shoot the shot with Shindavy and Bradley, and we'll see what happens there. I thought that was very significant news uh, as far as the Gamecocks are concerned. Um, I want to give you an update on Carolina Rise, the NIL collective that I started. We fully launched right before the weekend. Uh, got a new special kind of going on. The 1801 Club, you get $18 and one penny a month. And um, I'm looking to get 2,500 of those and then cap it. So it's an exclusive club. You get a car magnet and things like that. Uh, 1801, of course, is the founding year of the University of South Carolina. Uh, So it's kind of like a founder's club uh, for Carolina Rise. Uh, And again, carolinarise.com. You can go there and it's got all the information for membership. Uh, I've got links up on the site to the players that have Um, clothing lines and things like that. So if you want to support Carolina NIL in that way, maybe not, maybe you don't want to join a collective, that's fine. Uh, You can support them by uh, buying their gear. I know that I bought a bunch of Spencer Rattler gear at Christmas and then lo and behold, he came out with the South Carolina line. I think mine was the, I got some from the Oklahoma days, but uh, he's got a bobblehead doll coming out too. So Spencer Rattler really maximizes this NIL thing and I appreciate that about him because I think that uh, you know that kind of rubs off and it all goes kind of to paint the NIL picture at South Carolina which right now I'll be honest behind you know it's it's, uh, you have some of these collectives with 20 million dollars and that's not what's happened with my collective nor the other ones Uh, but I you know on the 1801 club I I thought like this I thought uh, you know, eighteen dollars and one cents per month. Uh, that's affordable for most people. For some people, it's not, and that's okay. I mean, look, man, I know times are hard. 
uh, and people are getting asked for money left and right. Uh, these days, it, it's kind of funny. You have GoFundMe's and things like that, that, you know, people are getting a lot of money for nothing. Um, but this money actually isn't for nothing. This is, this is to help Carolina, you know, and players and, and all that. Uh, but if, if we reach my goal, 2,500 and, you know, I, Big Spur membership is about two and a half times that and podcast numbers are, you know, higher than that. So there's the, there are people out there. Uh, that's, that's half a million bucks a year for NIL, which isn't as much as others, but uh, it still helps competitiveness and uh, things like that. So uh, give, if you can, carolinarise.com certainly would love to have you guys uh, be a part of that. Uh, also the, the daily format for this show coming in July, it's, it's, uh, it's going to happen. Uh, going to be streaming probably across YouTube, probably a lot like JB and Goldwater, you know, streaming across various platforms and then there'll be a podcast format. Also be a morning report for those of you that you know, can't catch the daily show and, and like to listen on your commute. So we, we do it twice, three times a week right now. And that's intentional at this point. Uh, I'll do more, you know, as, you know, during the part of recruiting in June and things like that. Uh, but right now, you know, it, it, it's there's a lot of prep time uh, that goes into that for me uh, and a lot of prep time for Carolina Rise. Plus, I have to write for the Big Spur and keep on top of things uh, and all that. And I'm other cooks in the kitchen. Plus, I have a life and, and a backyard I'm trying to work on. Uh, but that's the deal there. So, uh, you know, stay tuned for that. If you like listening to this podcast uh, and like everything about it, then, um, you know, please, please. Uh, stay tuned because you're going to have a lot uh, of content to digest, to digest. So that's the news and notes segment uh, brought to you by Heritage Digital. Thanks to those guys. want to tell you about Cindy Searfoss of Colwell Baker Kane. Uh, this segment coming up is brought to you by her. She's married to a diehard Gamecock fan. He's a great guy. I've got to know him. Uh, and she's been in the upstate more than 35 years. And would love to help you with your real estate needs. You can contact Cindy, 864-414-5271, or email her, C Searfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbkingcbcaine.com. Uh, Daniel Morgan Avenue, my hometown of Sparkle City, Spartanburg, South Carolina. That's where her office is. All the counties in the upstate, she will come find you a home, help you navigate the real estate market if you're going to go sell. Uh, I can't think of anybody better than Cindy uh, to navigate that process for you guys as well. Cindy Searfoss, Caldwell Banker Kane, Teller JC sent you a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. So, you know, lots of talk. I'm going to get off the baseball thing for a little bit. Um, you guys know how I feel about it. I mean, look, I don't, I don't have to like – I don't know. I, I don't have to like sit here and go over and over and over again. And uh, we'll revisit it if Clemson makes a move. And, and like I said, I've got it on good authority. They're going to. Um, and we'll talk more about that, you know, because that's definitely relevant when your in-state rivals making moves uh, for a, you know, because, you know, that program means too much to be mediocre, then shoot. I mean, I, well, what does that say about South Carolina? <laughs> 
I mean, and, and that's the, it, it's, it, obviously it's baffling guys. I mean, I, I just don't, I, I don't know under any circumstances how a historically bad year in the sec and then a under 500 year for like the third time in 50 years, injuries or not injuries or not, because look, it, you, you fired coaches that have had issues with injuries and COVID. I mean, that's not, you know, it hadn't been like, oh, well, let's just give Will Muschamp another year because of injuries and COVID, or let's give Frank Martin another year because of injuries and COVID. That hasn't been the standard in, in other sports that have lower standards than baseball. Okay, so I, excuses are out, you know, in my opinion, for that. Uh, and I know the pitching staff was injured and roughed up and all that good stuff, but, man, oh, man, I mean, you know, you, you, you look at the body of work and, there hasn't been a coach at South Carolina since before Bobby Richardson that's had this kind of start to his tenure. Maybe he turns it around. I mean, I know they've got some young players they really like, good players. I, you know, man, come on. Let's uh, let's live in reality here. I mean, why? You know, what? Why, you know, and, and then you kind of throw in the fact there's a lot of good coaches out there that would probably love to have this job. It is a great job. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I just, I'm baffled. But anyway, I'm going to get off of it for a while. We'll talk a little bit about uh, offense and Marcus Satterfield and the Gamecock offense this year. You know, a lot of talk, and we talked about this in a previous episode about the the L.A. Rams comparison. Spencer Rattler goes on the record, says offense is like the Rams. And, uh, you know, it is and it isn't. I mean, it, you know, people people take that. And kind of run with it. And uh, one of my guys on the message board, uh, Cocktoberfest is his name. It's a heck of a name. Uh, really is into X's and O's and, and things like that. And so there's that discussion about Rattler's comments. And, you know, the Rams thing did not concern me because that's a pretty good offensive attack for any level, you know. Um, and, of course, you get some feedback. Well, none of the staff at Carolina has been with the Rams. Well, you guys know football coaches steal from each other. I mean, it's not – there's no totally original, um, you know, conceptual things out there. I mean, you know, Steve Spurrier designed his own offense at Duke. Um, and I mean, people have different terminology and things like that, and, you know, but inside zones, inside zone, and, uh, you know, power is power and, you know, 21 personnel, 21 personnel. It just kind of is what it is, you know, and and he pointed out, you know, and he's better at this X's and O's stuff than I am that, um, you know, oh, here's Texas, Steve Sarkeesian using a Rams concept. So, hey, none of their coaches have been with the Rams, uh, I don't think. So, uh, so there you go. And and the Rams, you know, I, 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 I don't mind conceptually that, uh, you know, and, and I think when you talk about Satterfield and his offense, he likes, he likes to run the outside zone play. Uh, that concerns me a bit because I'm not sure the Gamecocks offensive line can get that horizontal. And that's kind of a bread and butter of the Rams, if you think about it. But at the same time, you flip that on the other side and you got a guy like Juju McDowell that can get to the edge or Jaheim Bell 
if you give him a, a jet reverse or, or whatever, you know, like the handoff they gave Bell at the beginning of uh, the North Carolina game in the bowl went for 20 yards uh, or juice wells on a, a jet sweep, things like that. You know, I, they have the athletes to get wide and make plays Josh van doing that too. Uh, you know, so, uh, so, so it's kind of, you, know, you kind of question it. Uh, and if you want to dig into why people are concerned about the offensive line, that that's probably why, uh, you know, they're not as good at getting horizontal as maybe they are just firing off the ball and hitting somebody. Um, but that's kind of, you know, the way it is. And outside zone actually worked some last year. The East Carolina game with Juju McDowell. So if you got Juju McDowell and you've got the athletes to do it, it's, it's, not, it's not a bad idea. Uh, and then they run some inside zone and, and duo and things like that. And the, uh, the receivers have to block in the Rams offense too, from my research. Um, I think Carolina's receivers can block. You know, I'm I'm not uh, not as concerned about that. A lot of bunch formations, things like that. Uh, you know, if you can do it right, the bunch formations and the tight formations can really help you. Uh, I think um, the one thing though you have to keep in mind is, and, and the Patriots did this in the Super Bowl. They won against the Rams, thirteen to three. Uh, a bear front or a six-man front or a stacked line of scrimmage is kryptonite when you're trying to do those types of things. Uh, and also, if you have a defensive line that's kicking your offensive line's butt, which happens a lot in the SEC, that can disrupt the whole thing. So, you know, when I talked last year about the offense being too complex, too complicated, you know, that that's probably – kind of a little bit what I was getting at, you know, because you have a lot of different assignments and nuance and stuff like that. But hopefully, you know, this year with a new quarterback and improved personnel, uh, this puppy can keep run humming. You know, I, I it scared me a little bit when Spencer Rattler drew up a play. They said he drew up a play. This was in an article, and it was 13 words long. I hope that's extreme. <laughs> that's like a, probably the, the extent of it. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Like I said, if, if it works, the concepts are great. I mean, if it works, it's the teaching of it and the execution of it mentally that, that, that would concern me. And the same thing I said last year is too, too complex and it's college, you know, and these guys, you know, have 20 hours a week, including the game during the week. Uh, but. Uh, only flip side of that too, and this is a new rules change, they can work out with a ball over the summer. So you have extended summer practices where you can get in there and work. And so, you know, maybe that helps get, get it down mentally. Second year in the system is going to help. Uh, new quarterback stability of that position is going to help. Um, there's a lot of things that can help, you know, in, in terms of that. But, uh, you know, the, the Rams talk, I, I kind of wanted to, dig into that and clarify that a little bit because, you know, people hear that and they're like, oh, God, here we go. You know, pro style system, whatever. But, the, the you know, you can scale it to college and do college type things. Uh, I don't I don't think that the Rams playbook or the Panthers playbook or whatever has been, you know, copied and pasted. And then that's that. Uh, I think you kind of most coaches just install things their own way uh, with their own terminology. 
uh, and all of that good stuff. So I, uh, you know, I, I it, some of this stuff concerns me. Uh, it gives me pause, but I'm not going to make too big of a deal out of it uh, for the time being, just because I, I you know, I, I would hope that, you know, everybody that's involved uh, would, would kind of figure it out. Like, Hey, these kids need to learn it and be able to get it down before you can go run it. Uh, and, and that, uh, you know, I, had to, I would hate for this year to be another learning experience because I'm just not, I'm just not into that. I think there's too many good players on this football team to have to, you know, build build toward something with a system that takes three years to get down. And I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and hope that it's not going to be the case. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it would be a different story if it were some big proven system that uh, had lit it up in college and, and all that, but it hasn't. You know, we, we don't we don't have that track record right now. Uh, but, you know, there's some things I really like. I like the creativity uh, in a lot of the instances. Um, I like uh, I like the fact that some Rams concepts, you know, are, are being introduced. And, and you think about it, too. I mean, you know, you, you hear pro style system and, and there's different types of pro style systems, obviously. But um you know, and then look in recruiting. I mean, Trevon Ball talked about the pro style offense. I, I was like, wow, you know, it's uh, that helps in recruiting when you use, you know, the Rams. You know, they just want a Super Bowl, and the people are like, oh yeah, great. Every kid wants to get to the league, right? They want to play uh, professional football, so that helps. But um, you know, just thinking about it, you know, it, 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 there has been some things out there, and I know if you listen to me and you kind of followed along last year. Uh, that kind of stuff would concern me. But uh, like I said, I'm not going to get overly worried right now about it because, you know, what I was told, uh, one of the reasons they kept Satterfield and kept going on offense is, oh, quarterback, the quarterback situation. Well, this year you don't have four different quarterbacks going in and out. So hopefully, you know, that solves some problems. And, and you know, with Rattler too, uh, here's the thing. I mean, he – you know, here's a kid that probably had had things not gone south at Oklahoma last year. Let's, let's say, because people were talking about Oklahoma winning the national championship. They ended up losing two games, I think. But uh, they were talking about them winning the whole thing last year with Rattler. And things not gone south. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't know that they went south with him. I, I just think that maybe when Caleb Williams came in, it gave the team a spark and – they started playing like they thought they would they would play. Um, but, you know, had that happened, had he had the year he thought, he'd probably have been drafted, you know. So he wants to get to the league. And I, I'll say this, Lincoln Riley uh, has put quarterbacks in the league. Uh, there have been air raid quarterbacks that have done a really good job in the league. Patrick Mahomes comes to mind, right? Um, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, name your guy. Jalen Hurts is starting. <laughs> Jalen Hurts is in a pro-style offense at Alabama. Um, but I, I think with Rattler, you know, because he has aspirations of being a high draft pick, you know, he's working his tail off uh, to try to learn it and, and, and learn it that way and, and all that good stuff. 
And Rattler doesn't really concern me. I, I think he's going to put in the work and get it. Uh, it. It's more the supporting cast and them knowing what to do on a given play uh, and all that. But, uh, you know, I have, I have faith, you know, that, that this is going to be a, a better deal. Um, there certainly are better players. So the, the excuses about players are over. You know, second year, I mean, you, you've got you got Jaheim Bell, you got Juice Wells, you got Josh Van, you got Austin Stogner. I mean, you got that, you got all of a sudden depth at tight end, you all of a sudden you got depth at receiver, you've got definitely depth at running back, Juju McDowell, Marshawn Lloyd, you know, Christian Bill Smith, the, the, you know, Marion Brown, Xavier Leggett. I mean, go on and on. I mean, th- this is a different day as far as offensive personnel at South Carolina. So hopefully that happens. And, uh, you know, they're going to continue to recruit their butts off and hopefully they don't get uh, outbid by NIL (laughs) with some guys. Um, But so far they're two commits, you know, so far so good. Uh, And we'll kind of see what happens and analyze it, break it all down. You know, the only kind of unfortunate NIL thing I see right now is the Bradley kid from Missouri because something is keeping South Carolina in that top three. Uh, and you know that the other two schools are heavy NIL collective, $20, $30 million types of things. He's a five-star D end. You know, you, you have to think that there's been a wink, wink, nod, nod with that guy. Uh, you know, but then you got Carolina sitting right there, you know, and so under normal circumstances, would would South Carolina be able to get that guy? Maybe, maybe, you know, right now I'd still call it unlikely. Uh, And that's a money deal. That's a money deal. So we will see what happens, but I I do think recruiting is going well. You know, like I said, I I wanted those of you that read that about Rattler and the 13 word play. uh, I wanted to kind of discuss that because that would concern me as well. Uh, you know, as far as all that goes, because I, you know, I'm not coming off the fact that the offense was too complicated last year. I mean, that's just a fact. Um, people can say it's not all they want. They can blame other things, but, you know, I know enough to know from people I've talked to that it, it was, but there were some adjustments that were made, scale backs that were done. And so I think that's, that's probably pretty good, you know, in my opinion. Okay, so there we go with the analysis. Trying to get to the mailbag, and we'll get to it after you hear this from Tony Pope, State Farm Insurance. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, time for the mailbag, the iHelp Consulting mailbag. And we're going to talk about iHelp Consulting here in a little bit. Two ways to get into the mailbag, and I love that. 
Uh, first of all, tweet two at the Big Spur Pod. Um, and uh, we will read all of those. And then uh, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, okay. So first one comes in from Gamecock Fan 3 off the Twitter line at the Big Spur Pod. Also, like Inside the Gamecocks on Facebook. It's Inside the Gamecocks. And uh, Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. We are all over social media here with the podcast. And that's going to help, too, when we move forward to uh, the daily show. You know, they'll be streaming there and, and things of that nature. Also, real quick, wanted to tell you, the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast uh, Mike and I are kind of going, taking a tour around the SEC and other places. And so uh, we did Florida, you know, over the weekend uh, on Friday. It took me a while to get it up. Had some technical difficulties. But that episode is live with Thomas Goldcamp from Swamp 24-7. We also talked about the SEC, SEC meetings coming up and uh, the scheduling and the SEC-only playoffs and stuff like that. That's kind of a good topic to toss around here, too. Uh, and I will here in a moment or on the next episode or whatever, depending on, I think I got some questions about it. So here we go. All right. First one, Gamecock fan three, JC, how do you feel about the potential offensive line class this cycle? How many do you think we can take? I think you take three or four, maybe five. If you find the right ones, I wouldn't take a guy, just take a guy. I could see them uh, this cycle jumping in the portal to try to find a guy. Uh, Cause you have a lot of players that are older that are going to be gone. Um, but then you got three newcomers, Casey Henry, Ryan Brubaker, and Grayson Mains. So you hope they'll be ready. I think Vershawn Lee and Wanamaker will be back um, among the uh, older guys, I guess. Um, you know, but then, then you're looking for guys. Marquis Anderson from Dorman is a guy to definitely keep an eye on as far as uh, a lean to the Gamecocks. Uh, DJ Geth, his teammate, is another potential guy trovon ball is in the uh in the bag and then you got some other guys you got a couple guys from louisiana that atkins offered you've got uh the big kid whose name is tough to pronounce from maryland who's a big offensive tackle uh you know they could get to five they offered a junior college player from lackawanna uh so I think they could take five because you only took three last year. So, and you're kind of top heavy with your numbers. So if they can get to five, I think they'll take five, but they're not going to take, you know, the, the one thing about this staff, they're not really big on taking flyers like, like reaches um, because, I, and I think, you know, this staff and their arrival, it's coincided with the transfer portal uh, and the new rules. And, and so, you know, they don't have to do that. <laughs> uh, and if you notice last year, you know, during the summer, the recruiting board shrinks, you know, they've got kind of their top guys that they, they, they like, um, they rock and roll with those. And then if they miss kind of like tight end last year, they, they hit the pool. Uh, you know, last year, Oscar Delt was the tight end they wanted, uh, went the distance with him, did not get him, but they didn't go, reach on another guy they uh they hit the portal and got stogner which is probably just as good or better ramon brown was kind of the running back i i you know i I know everybody was upset that they didn't get ramon brown um and you know look he went to maryland or whatever uh i 
and by the end, I had soured on him because I, I just didn't see, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. Shoot, maybe he wins a Heisman at Maryland or whatever, but I just didn't see the explosiveness uh, that you need, uh, especially when you compare him to Lavoisier Carroll, who they ended up getting out of the portal anyway. And they got Christian Bill Smith. So, shoot, running back was fine. But, but my point of all that is, you know, they're not – really big on all right so we missed so we're going to go down the board a bit and get these guys they will sit there and go okay well we'll just hit the portal which is fine i think as a good at south carolina that's a good strategy um you know and then i'm sure that during camp there'll be some maybe some in-state guys that emerge that they offer and like it happens almost every year uh that kind of thing to fill out the class uh and then i think too uh, a lot of times this staff, another thing I really like is, you know, with everybody hitting the portal, there are less reaches, you know, so there's less opportunity. And so a lot of times, you know, with, uh, whereas a, like a kid in South Carolina, like DJ Black from Chapman, you know, he's a 6'3", 6'4", receiver and a track athlete and a really good player, right? Well, for some reason, he was below offer boards for just about everybody. He's walking on in Carolina. And Carolina's walk-on program, it's in-state focused. Uh, Beamer puts a lot of emphasis on treating everybody the same. If you're scholarship, walk-on, whatever, he was a walk-on himself. Um, Taylor Edwards told you that during his interview with us. I, you know, I like that strategy too, you know, because you're, 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 you're using your scholarships on, you know, portal, if you don't get the high school guys you want, but then you're also kind of backfilling with good in-state players that could blow up as we've seen uh, from guys from the state of South Carolina for a long time, you know, and uh, I think when you watch, you know, the spring game this year, you know, there are a lot of walk-ons as you go, man, this, this guy can kind of play, you know, BJ Gibson from, as a transfer from Navy, didn't do much at Navy, but he's a six-three receiver. I mean, six-three safety out of Atlanta. Uh, he looked like he belonged, didn't he? Um, DJ Twitty, uh, transfer from uh, East Tennessee State, in-state guy from Chapman High in Edmond. Uh, as a bowling ball fullback type, he looked like he belonged, right? Yeah, I don't know if those guys will get on the field or not this year, but uh, they look like they belonged. And so it's kind of going to be a different thing. And, and look, explaining all this to, to my audience and, and kind of wrapping my head around it too, it's, it's a lot different then our normal, all right, what are they rating in recruiting? There's the 25 guys. You know, these five are probably going to play right away. The other 20, we'll see. You know, it just it's just not like that anymore. It's, it's, there's a lot more transition, a lot more nuance, I think, to recruiting these days. Uh, and then you throw NIL in there, and it, it could get crazy. It could get absolutely insane. You know, so I say that about getting guys to walk on. Maybe <laughs> maybe they're going to need those guys to not, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but I feel good about the offensive line class. You know, Marky Anderson, to me, is sort of the linchpin in all that Gamecock 3. Uh, Dorman kid, big-time player, top uh, how, uh, top 120 in the country. Uh, so I, I think if they get him – uh, that's a, that's a big marquee offensive line get, uh, his name is marquee as well. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll see kind of what happens. I appreciate uh, that right now. Carolina faithful 
At the Big Spur Pod, they tweet, do you think coaches' value will decrease if the pay-for-play stuff increases? If boosters buy the players, they may start to control even more of what the coaches do with certain players. Good coaches aren't going to want to deal with it. That's something a lot of coaches have talked about. Um, the concern, you know, that uh, this guy spent, or this booster spends this money on this player that kind of wonders why he's not playing. That's worse than parents, you know. Why is my son playing? Why is this player I'm paying for playing? Well, he's not good enough because he doesn't work because he's got a million dollars of your money sitting in his bank account, right? <laughs> and this is the thing, too, about football. You know, there's always somebody that will take your place and do it better than you if you don't do what you need to do to get it done. You know, people talk about talent, star ratings, and all this crap. And it's not its not crap. I, I've made a good living off of it, right? And I think it's relevant because uh, I think there are guys that have higher upsides than others, but it is a developmental sport. And if you don't believe that, you're wrong. If you believe you can just roll five stars out there and win right away, you're wrong. Georgia, look, man. They put together quite a group, a lot of five-stars on that defense, right? Shane Beamer was right. But then there's some three-star guys. Jordan Davis comes to mind. There's some four-star guys. You know, uh, Trevon Walker, you know, probably should have been the number one player in the country the year he came out. But, uh, you know, he, he wasn't number one overall pick good until his final year. And the reason is Georgia did a great job of developing that defense. Everybody bought in. You could see them playing that defense this year. It was, it was almost like watching offense. They were so in unison and in tune with where their assignments, what they had to do. And, and they were at the peak of their athletic performance because they had developed, right? They went from potential to player. You know, people talk about Texas A&M's defensive line class this year and the NIL and all that. They've got a bunch of four- and five-star guys from all over the country. It's interesting. Uh, the kid from Philly, there was a report, and he denied it. But the kid from Philly they got, it, there was a report the NIL collective at A&M told him he couldn't play in an all-star game, the big 33. Uh, but he denied it, though, so so that's – you got to take him at his word. But it was the, it was the pin – Penn Live newspaper that reported it. So, you know, newspapers do have to jump through some hoops to confirm things. So, um, so there you go. Uh, you know, it, the, you get all those guys out there, you know, they have to work because they can't just step on the field in the SEC and dominate. And I'm going to be really curious to see, you know, A&M lost a lot of defensive linemen off last year's team. I'm, I'm very curious to see how their D-line stacks up this year with those young guys. Um, at the same time, I'll say this, they signed eight. If four of them hit, it's worth it because they're all like high upside guys. You know what I'm saying? So if you hit on four, it's worth it. And people may start playing that game too. All right, we're going to pay and sign. And if we get half, that's fine because they're good enough. So we'll see sort of what happens, but you know, will good coaches deal with, the money and the pressure and the boosters and all the boosters already kind of attempt to meddle a little bit, you know, cause they're not just giving money for player now. And, and, you know, so you kind of think about that could be a factor, but uh, 
you know, who knows? I mean, I, I think as long as the team is winning, you know, I, I don't know that you're going to have too many boosters, you know, step up and do that, you know, unless they spent an egregious amount of money because they thought they were talent evaluators and all that good stuff. But uh, NIL is going to change things for coaches, period, I think, at the college level. And, you know, some people are like, well, they don't have control anymore. Well, you know, no, they don't have control over money. You know, I, I'm not saying that some coaches weren't jerks about it at times where, where they would just, you know, kick a guy off. The t- Most of the time a guy gets kicked off the team, he deserves it, right? Or maybe, you know, cut some bad weight or whatever, pull a scholarship here and there. You know, I'm not saying that never happened, but but I'm saying, you know, this whole notion that coaches are upset because they can't control money that players are making, I, I, I don't know that they care. I, I think what they're concerned about is what I've been talking about here is where is the motivation to work and maximize your talent uh, if you're sitting on a bunch of money? So that, that's kind of my thing there. Uh, that's a great question, though, Carolina Faithful. And there's a big thread on Twitter uh, about it, too. They answer it back and forth. Um, now, now, what I think is going to be unfair, and you guys have to pay attention to this, is you guys getting after coaches. Like, I, I, I saw it today about Lamont Paris and basketball recruiting. They're like, well, it's a shame they can't get this guy or that guy. And I'm like, look, not only is it a – bottom of the barrel SEC job, right, in basketball uh, right now. Hopefully they can change that, but right now. uh, You know, they're battling NIL in that sport 10 times the amount of football, okay? You know, so – but fans are not used to that yet. They're used to holding coaches accountable uh, for recruiting highly star-rated players, right? Uh, and, you know, while that wasn't always fair, you know, I think you could evaluate, you know, a coach's ability to go convince players to come to their school as part of their job, right? But, you know, at the same time, uh, it's uh, – and I apologize for the beeping in the background. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, you uh, – you know, you, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, well – this guy ended up signing a guy that was three stars. It was better than the four star anyway. Nowadays, uh, I think a coach can do everything right. He can work as hard as he wants. He can have great relationships with the guys. He can have a situation where the player wants to play for him and money comes, (laughs) money becomes involved and he loses it. And so I don't think it's fair to sit there and, you know, criticize coaches for it. I mean, because what are they supposed to do? I mean, seriously, tell me, what are they supposed to do? I don't know. You know, <laughs> I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, you know, why, why, you know, oh, you just do it anyway. Well, good luck. Good luck doing that, you know, if it's about money. So, and uh, I think the idea is to find players that are close to being good enough that, you know, th- that's not really a factor with them. If it comes to the, the if it comes to a point where, all the guys that 24-7 are on three or whoever rates high um, end up, uh, you know, end up getting paid. You know, you got to find whoever is close enough 
and then hope that the money <laughs> poisons the water. I'm not saying everybody that gets paid is going to be a bad player or a bust. I'm just saying the bust rate is going to be a lot higher. Uh, just human nature, human nature. Game guy pastor tweets in, as he always does. Thank you. So the Georgia game has already been named a noon game. Who is the most responsible for this kickoff time? And how does this affect the Gamecocks' chances to pull off an upset? You know, I'm sure people are going to blame Ray Tanner for it, but look, man, Carolina had an ungodly amount of night games last year. and Nobody complained. I mean, people are starting to complain that the games were at night. <laughs> Crazy, right? Um, you know, look, it's stupid, I think, in my opinion, to sit there and try to hold the the AD accountable for kickoff times. Um, Alabama and Texas are playing big noon kickoff on Fox because Fox has the Big 12 contract and it's a Big 12 home game, and that's their prime spot. You know, that's kind of their niche. And they're going to put it on at 11 a.m. local time in Austin, Texas, one of the biggest home games for Texas in years. And that's Texas and Alabama. You know, that's two blue bloods. I mean, we're all about to find out, you know, just how much Texas likes to throw their weight around. And so, you know, and like, look, the Oklahoma AD complained about it too. No, Nobody really likes, especially the schools in the central time zone, that you have to kick off at 11 a.m. Nobody likes that. Um, I don't – when I go to a game, I don't necessarily mind getting up early in the morning tailgating and watching it being done and hanging out in the afternoon watching ball. But uh, I, you know, that's not, that. that's the SEC game cop pastor. That's, you know, Tanner, nobody at Carolina decided that. The way Georgia decided that, the SEC and, uh, you know, ESPN decides it, and then the SEC signs off on it. So that's that's how it is. And, you know, how does it affect the Gamecocks' chances? I don't know. Last time Carolina played a noon kickoff against Georgia, let's see, the Sunday game in 2016 I think was a 2 p.m. kickoff because they – and they gave people time to get, get home from church or whatever because they, they moved it from a night game because of hurricane uh, potential – so the last time Carolina played Georgia at noon at home was 2010, 17 to six Gamecocks. Marcus Lattimore ran nuts, <laughs> 37 carries, 162 yards. Uh, defensive oriented game. Gamecock defense played really, really well in that one. And so, uh, yeah, so that was the last time that game was at noon at home. You know, there's been the 3:30 kickoff in 2018 on CBS. But, uh, but that was about it. So, does it affect their chances? I don't know. I mean, it's going to be hot. We know that. And, you know, adverse conditions don't necessarily – I don't know who they favor, one team or the other. So, we'll kind of see what all happens there with that. So, I, I don't know if it affects them either way. Carolina, uh, the opening kickoff uh, is – ESPN Plus again this year, same setup as last year uh, against Georgia State, 7.30. So the opener is at night, and that's good, I think, because, look, everybody's going to go pack in and watch Georgia and Carolina. Uh, Georgia State at noon, especially if the game got out of control, maybe not. You know, maybe people are heading to the 
to the Oasis after that. Carolina also plays Arkansas week two out there at uh, noon, 11 a.m. local. So, you know, Carolina's kind of players are going to be used to it. I don't know what time. Let me see Georgia's second uh, – excuse me, second game of the year here. I'm going to look this up real quick, Gamecock faster. You know, so you got that. Yeah. Uh-uh-uh. Why are there no kickoff times listed on 24-7? Jeez. Uh, Georgia football schedule 2022. Okay. So football schedule. Okay, so Georgia. All right, so they have afternoon games, their first two. They've got well, – these are central time. So they got Oregon at 3.30 at the Mercedes-Benz. And they got Samford at – 4 p.m. SEC Network, uh, September 10th, the second week of the season. And then they got Carolina at noon. And then their week four game against Kent State's at noon, too. So, uh, dogs have a lot of afternoon kickoffs as well. Gamecocks are the only one that have a night because they kick off at night against Georgia State. So, you know, does it matter? I don't know. It's going to be hot in Athens the week before against Sanford, probably hot in Fayetteville too. It's always hot. It's the South. Thanks, Gamecock Pastor. Really, really appreciate it. Um, old school Gamecock chimes in. Says, I think the pay for coaches should decrease. Right now, college football makes a fortune for the schools, and all they have the, to spend that fortune on is facilities and coaches' salaries. In the NFL, the better players – make far more than coaches. I expect it will soon be like that in college football, too. I don't know. That's a discussion for another time. All right. Second part of the mailbag. And, again, iHealth Consulting is the sponsor here. Uh, really appreciate Daniel Owens from iHealth Consulting being a longtime sponsor of the mailbag here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. And if you're a business owner – you're always looking to save time and money, and that's where iHelp Consulting can help. iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help your business save money on expenses. And whether you think you may be paying too much for credit card processing, internet, insurance, or anything else, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If iHelp can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel Owens at iHelp. 843-372-5713 or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? All right. Got to apologize. I, I uh, It seems like when I do the podcast, folks, that Red, my dog, like, and maybe it's the sound of my voice. I don't know, but he goes crazy. And he, he, he's licking his paws and he bites his bed, his little bed that he has out here. He, I don't know why he's worried about that bed because he sleeps in there with us. <laughs> I guess his day bed. Uh, and he dances around and he clicks on the hardwood floor. So I apologize if you're hearing him breathe and click and all that good stuff. Uh, and then the microwave sound earlier was human era. So that's the deal there. All right. Okay, this is Greenwood football, Twitter, blah, 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 blah. 
Oh, okay. So, yeah, this is actually a question. It, 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 this uh, The emailer, Brian, uh, emailed him about his nephew, so I didn't know if that was something I just needed to answer. So, hey, JC, Brian here. Got a question. Recently, I took custody of my 15-year-old nephew from Cincinnati and took him in here at Greenwood. He plays football, so he joined the team at Greenwood High. We had our first parent-coach meeting before spring ball a couple of months ago. During the meeting, the head coach uh, was talking, and I liked him and his passion. But notice he mentioned Clemson several times in a favorable way. When I looked home, I looked at his Twitter profile. Sure enough, he was at the Clemson game, decked out in orange with his son that I also found out went to Clemson. Through his profile, it's obvious he's a Clemson super fan, which is fine, I guess. But it made me wonder if he brings his fandom into the recruiting process, maybe encouraging kids to go up there rather than to the Gamecocks or anywhere else. Here's my question. Do you think this goes on in the recruiting process throughout the state, and is it a problem in recruiting? I know I heard that Hilton Head has a head coach that talks kids out of going to Carolina, you know, also actually staying in state period, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, sorry about the long question. Appreciate all you do. All right, Brian, I, you know, here's the thing. This does, it, it used to be when, let's say there was 15 to 20 players in the state every year that were going major college and Carolina and Clemson wanted 13 of them. And, you know, nine of them were head-to-head battles. Uh, yeah, that 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 kind of that kind of stuff went on. I mean, there were different people that liked different schools, and you know, whatever. You know, there's kind of some things that happened that you know on both sides that you kind of looked at. And you went, oh, you know, that's that's a so-and-so school. I see that a lot less now, and that's simply becoming – you mentioned Greenwood. When's the last time Greenwood had a guy? Sam Pigney went to Georgia State. You know, uh, so that's that. I mean, it, you know, you have a lot of these schools that – and Greenwood's been a South Carolina pipeline, you know. But you have a lot of these schools that, that you know, used to put out players that don't anymore. And – you know, the the pool of players in the state that are known has shrunk. And then Clemson didn't necessarily – and I, I don't know, this may change. This actually may change back since we're in the NIL era and all that. But, you know, Clemson doesn't necessarily go head-to-head with Carolina on a lot of guys within the state. Now, is that, is that probably going to happen more often? Yes. You know, and then starting with this class, you see more and more – Players, you know, like Grayson Howard, the linebacker from Jacksonville, has an offer from Clemson and Carolina. Marquis Anderson has an offer from Clemson. Uh, the two tackles in next year's class have offers from Clemson. You know, so you're going to probably see that a little, a little more, right? Antonio Williams, we saw what happened with him last year. Um, but I, I don't know that we're ever going back to those days where if you're a Carolina fan, and this has changed a little bit too. And and you want a kid from Fort Dorchester and Clemson gets involved, you know he's going to Clemson or he's going out of state. Um, if you're a if you're a Clemson fan and you see a kid going to South Point that you really want, of course they got Darion Kendrick. I know that. Uh, but that was kind of during a weird transition or whatever. Uh you know, or you see a kid from South Point, Rock Hill, and Carolina's offered him, you know, he's probably going to Carolina or Richland Northeast, you know, a place like that, uh, or Calhoun County. Okay. There's a, you know, those days, because of the sheer lack of numbers 
in the state of South Carolina. Uh, I don't know if we're going back to those days. Now, I'll tell you this, Brian, as far as high school coaches pushing kids here, there, and yonder, it, it, it happened. It has happened everywhere in every state in the past. Um, you know, these days, though, we're kind of in a different era. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, I don't get that sense. I know Hilton Head is tough. Uh, that's a tough nut to crack. Um, but Hilton Head's kind of down there. My grandfather, uh, he didn't, he didn't really drive very far. You know, uh, he called that called Hilton Head the end of the earth because it's the end of South Carolina when you're going down 95. So down there at the end of the earth, yeah, that that's a problem for both in-state schools. Um, it's amazing to me because, you know, you could make an argument, uh, if you're in Hilton Head that, oh, going to Florida, Florida State or, you know, someplace like that's closer, kind of close, you know, it's more affiliated because it's down in that region, right? But now yeah, those kids end up getting sent to Texas and Notre Dame and Purdue and all these other places, Eastern Illinois. So who knows? Who knows? But uh, that's the only deal there. I mean, like, you know, Myrtle Beach, for example, puts out players. You know, Carolina got Luke Doty, Clemson got the receiver. North Carolina got another receiver. So, you know, that's the schools that are putting players out, you know, aren't really like that, you know. And so I, you know, in my opinion, that doesn't necessarily factor in as much as it used to. You know, and, and all that. So, yeah, but I mean, I, you know, I don't know the coach from Greenwood, but he's a Clemson fan. He's a Clemson fan. You know, I as long as he wins and coaches the Greenwood Eagles to success, you know, more power to him. I mean, there's a lot of there's coaches around the state that, that I know that were Clemson people back when I used to travel the state, talk to coaches. They're great people. Great people. You know, two or three come to mind in particular. I mean, that uh, really cool. Folks, and and really, at the end of the day, you know, they had some players that go to Quinta Carolina, you know, and it just happens like that. But every state's sort of like that. And that's why, you know, Georgia, because there's just not a lot of tech people in Georgia. There's not a, not a lot of tech fans. Like Georgia and LSU and Ohio State and places like that have such an advantage because it's just all about the Buckeyes, all about LSU Tigers, and all about Georgia. And those are big states that put out a bunch of players, you know, and there's just not a lot of competition. You know, Cincinnati's not taking uh, Ohio State's top target from in-state. You know, Tulane's not taking it from LSU. Georgia Tech's certainly not taking it from Georgia. They they win one or two every now and then, but it's few and far between, especially now. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate your email there. Jonathan says, JC, is it possible to make rules that all NIL deals are public run through the school and have an nil cap for each school to make the playing field somewhat equal that means you're not limiting players deals but the school is limited on how many they can pay there will still be dark money like the 30 million spent on ah jonathan i don't know about that this uh the 2018 thing and that number i that number's not that's that that you need to take some zeros off that one. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it on the podcast. Uh, but you take some zeros off that one. Now, now right now, you know, who knows? Who knows? But uh 
So is there a way to make all right, the rules, the deals public? I think you could mandate that. And uh, I think that uh, you do have to report them to the school right now. Uh, but I think you can make them public. I mean, you, you don't even have to really do anything but announce the number. And I think that would help all these. I think that would help every school recruit as long as the numbers are good. Uh, you know, if they brought it in-house and the school was responsible for promoting NIL deals uh, and all that, that would happen. The cap? I don't think so. Um, because here's what would happen. Say you, you could cap what the school could arrange for you. You know, you could say, well, the school can arrange, you know, what, $20 million a year for their players, right? And they've spread that out through all sports. But you could still have outside collectives and, you know, and, or whoever, sweeten the pot, you know, and, and with NIL too, you know, what's to keep, you know, some businesses from going out. Yeah. And I mean, you know, car dealerships or whatever uh, from adding on to it. And you're still talking about an imbalanced playing field um, because you're not going to limit the players individually. Uh, so that would, to me, that would, you know, and you're right, there'd still be dark money, but it would, It'd be more out in the open and all that. I, I, you know, how do you limit it? I don't know. Um, maybe break off from the NCAA. Maybe say, you know, I, I think it would still open you up from a for a lawsuit. But I, I think you'd have a better chance of winning in court uh, if you said, okay, you you have to play for a year to be eligible for NIL. Now you still have some promises and stuff, this, that, and the other, but uh, you know, then again, how are you going to keep a guy from selling his own hats or, or making money off of his Jersey? I mean, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how all that would, uh, would work. Maybe you say, Hey, look, um, you know, you have to take, you know, you're only eligible to play here if, you know, your NIL deals are routed through the school, um, you know, no outside NIL deals, but we'll hook you up. We have a robust department to do that. Uh, and then after the, your first year, you know, you're eligible to go outside and make income. Because I think you get past that first year, guys are working hard or they're getting it because you, you give them motivation to work, to get to where they're in a position to be valuable. You know, right now it's based on fake value. Now, the courts are going to look at it and say, no, this is America and your value is based on whatever somebody wants to pay. And that's true. That's true. But, um, you know, I, I don't, in sports, you, you know, you, you, every in every league, you know, and if the government senators and the courts want to classify it as professional sports in every professional sports league, man, there's there's rules that that that. You know, Nick Saban talked about this. There's rules that create competitive balance, salary caps, you know, those kind of things. Uh, it's sports because, you know, I mean, and if you want to, you want to do it, like just have it, keep it wide open because you think college athletes are exploited, which you're a moron if you think that. You're, I mean, you're basically just focusing on 2% of the student athletes in college to play football. Um, you know, 
but you think that they're leaving money on the table and it's not fair. And you mean, and that's fine with me. I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. And I think, you know, NIL fundamentally how it's meant to be is good. I, I think that, you know, you look at Carolina, by the way, you go to carolinarise.com and, and have, you know, there, I think there's about eight links up there to different players with their gear. Okay. Their own clothing line. I, I encourage every one of you go buy a t-shirt. You know, I want you to join Carolina Rise, contribute to the pot of money with a collective, but you don't feel comfortable doing that, man. By all means, go buy some of Marshawn Lloyd's gear, Zach Pickens gear, whoever, because that all helps. It's all one big Carolina NIL pot, right? So, you know, you could maybe do it like that and, and thread that needle. You're still going to have attorneys that believe – that high school recruiting and somehow is like representing guys from the draft and they see dollar signs and they want to get paid yesterday and they're still going to push the issue, but you know, they would have less of a chance to win in court. If you say, okay, we're going to give you money, but you do have to earn it for a year uh, to get to, to, to unlock the unlimited, you know, maybe two years. I mean, you could tie, you know, because incentive-based deals <laughs> are very American, in my opinion, very open market, you know, you get what you work for. And so if that were the case, you know, hey, look, you know, so first two years, you're getting NIL, we're going to hook you up. The school is limited to how much they can do, but you are limited to what the school can do for the first two years. After that, you're in good standing with the program. You don't have to be in good standing, you know, because you, that's going to determine your value, especially in football, right? In basketball, I say that a lot in basketball, you know, uh, but in football, you know, hey, look, you know, you come here, we've got X amount. We're going to hook you up with deals, promote you, uh, sell your gear, you know, whatever. You know, so your jersey sales go to you. But the school overall has a cap, right? But then last two, you know, you can go out and get whatever you want. Now, the problem with that is also going to be the transfer portal. <laughs> because you're going to see guys jump in the portal for NIL deals, just like Jordan Addison did from Pitt. And, you know, you start thinking about it, and you're like, is that really bad? You know, I think it's bad if you're Pitt and you've invested in that player and you've developed that player uh, and he's a Bolitnikov winner, and you have a chance to have a big year, and he walks out the door in May. I don't like the timing of it, right? Um, so they would have to do something where they schedule the tra- – they, they, they have a hard and fast period where you can transfer, kind of like free agency in the NFL. You know, and then that's it. You know, you're not going anywhere after that. You're locked in. Um, you know, because you will have guys that go first two years, and then they're actually really, really good. Um. And then you got, you know, people in people's ear, hey, come, come here. This NIL is crazy because we've got all these boosters and they're willing to do this, you know. And then it's worth it. Like, okay, so to me, uh, if Texas A&M <laughs> paid for all those five-star D linemen through NIL, uh, that's a risky proposition. Tennessee, what they're doing, $8 million for a quarterback, risky proposition. Jordan Addison for Southern Cal or Caleb Williams or whoever else, uh, whatever else proven talent 
Lincoln Riley and the Trojans got? Great investment. <laughs> I mean, Jordan Addison's a Belitnikoff winner, man. I mean, you know, he deserves it. You know, give it to him. Shoot, if you can do that, great. So you'd still kind of be running into a free agency sort of thing because there are schools that will come pluck your players. So I don't know. Hey, maybe you end up splitting college football into more divisions. You know, maybe South Carolina and schools like that, that you know, along those lines, it's still be there. Still be a lot of half the SEC schools are would not be in the biggest spending division. You know, and you, and you play like high school where you got 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A, 6A. I don't know. <laughs> it would suck, but, you know, in a lot of ways. But then again, maybe not. So, anyway. Great stuff, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Mitchell says, hi, JC. Hope all is well. I don't have a question that ties directly to South Carolina, but something general college football-wise that came to my mind. With the NCAA transfer portal and tuition and how players can transfer to other schools easily compared to the past, I wonder how this impacts programs in the junior college ranks. In your opinion, with the portal in shape, you think South Carolina will now target transfer kids more often than through smaller, lower D1 schools instead of junior college? My assumption is that the transfer portal has yet to impact junior college recruiting in some way. I don't think it shuts the doors completely. You have to imagine junior college programs and players might suffer trying to get to the next level of football because of the portal. Thank you, Mitchell. Yeah, and I think it does uh, cause a hit to junior college. But, uh, you know, and like last year, South Carolina didn't really target any junior college players because you were coming off a year where most junior college football was canceled. And, and, and that put everybody behind. Um, and Gamecocks did get Isaiah Norris and Marcellus Dial out of the junior college ranks and Bam Martin Scott out of the junior college ranks. Uh, I think South Carolina will always recruit junior colleges um, to this, to, simply because there's players from the state that go to JUCO because they have to, that you can get back. And uh, the other, you know, power five program in the state doesn't take junior college players so you know you can get some really good guys like eliza davis from wagner sally he visited carolina uh recently about 10 days ago uh he was a big time looking player coming out of school uh really good film all that well he just didn't have the grades and they placed him uh and now you can get him back and dang he's all of a sudden like six five 300 pounds <laughs> Javon Kinlaw was like that. Dante Sawyer was like that. You know, you can get players uh, bouncing back. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that, you know, instead of having to go the JUCO ranks, you know, for immediate needs, and, and there's a difference between, you know, we love this player out of high school. He's from South Carolina. We can get him back here and he can really help us. And, oh, God, we have to have a corner next year. So where do we go? I mean, I think that's two different strategies. I think one, go in the portal. Two, you know, you, you can go JUCO. You, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I'll be honest, Mitchell. I, I thought during the last cycle that we had maybe seen the last of junior college recruiting. But Gamecocks and some other schools have offered some players. It, it's picking back up. I, I think that was more a case of them canceling their seasons and 
whatever during COVID. So I, I think it still exists. I think for South Carolina, it's smart. Uh, as, and, you know, I, I think you're going to actually be a lot more selective from the junior college ranks if you're the Gamecocks now because of the portal. Uh, but I, I don't see – I don't see it going away. I mean, there's always two or three defensive linemen in the junior college ranks of the state of Mississippi that everybody will want. Davis is one of those this year. And that's not going away because, you know, everybody wants defensive linemen. <laughs> everybody needs them. So there you go, Mitchell. That's a good deal there. Uh, okay. Jeff says, so, I've been listening and reading, and I'm very concerned about the state of the Gamecock collectives. According to the research I've done, they're not as well-funded as they should be. Right now, you're right, Jeff, but I'm not giving up right now. I think that it's, uh, it's a matter of reaching people and explaining, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, the other collective, I'm not sure, I mean, I, I – the explanation there kind of is what it is and they've done a good job. I encourage people to give to that. I don't, I don't care. It's not about me, but it's, you know, the problem I've had with it so far that I found surprising is people just don't understand. Um, and there's a group that, you know, says, okay, well, we'll see if recruiting picks up or they win. And then I, like, it's like, it's giving to the Gamecock club. And then that's just, that's totally fundamentally different. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a cart before the horse kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's the issue. And I also think this, I think it's been such a tough time in athletics at Carolina. Uh, I, I think that it's not cheap to go to games anymore. It's not, you know, they keep building new club levels and stuff and your average fan that loves the Gamecocks. I'm not saying they get priced out, but you know, where they get their enjoyments winning, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they don't get to sit in a, in a luxury box in the air conditioning. I mean, they're out there in the sun, hoping their Gamecocks win. And there's had been a lot of winning, especially in that rivalry game. Um, and I think a lot of fans kind of see it as, well, they're not winning, so I'm not going to do this. It, it, it's kind of a cart before the horse thing. That's fine. You're talking about buying tickets, Gamecock Club, whatever. But the collective money and the NIL money and, and that being robust and in place, is uh, it, it impacts recruiting. Now, you don't go sign deals with recruits. That's I'm not, I'm not signing deals with recruits, but – what it does is you have a number out there. You have a, uh, well, this is what, this is this, this is that. And, and coaches can sell that when you have a robust NIL program. South Carolina's just not there. So that's that. Not as well funded as they should be. No, but hey, if, if I'll be a happy camper if I can reach my goal uh, in the 1801 club, carolinarise.com, by the way. Uh, we have great fans that just don't believe most truly understand where college football is today. That's true. I see it, you know, and again, I'm going to try to hammer this home. They want to blame the coaches if they don't get recruits still. And I'm like, well, you know, like Julian Phillips, you know, <laughs> can't blame Lamont Paris for that one. You know, many, but not many, not all, but enough good players are asking or even demanding a substantial NIL bill to go along with the offer for scholarship. 
Most fans feel like they already spend too much on season tickets, club memberships, and so forth. However, one has nothing to do with the other. This is the disconnect. NIL isn't a pay for play. Uh, so your hard-earned money that is spent on tickets, parking, club membership, concessions, swag, and so forth goes to the school. NIL's deals are private agreements between players and businesses the players will use to use their notoriety to sell fans on whatever players make. Uh, and then whatever players make royalty off their likeness or however they choose to new, use their name, image, likeness. I'm afraid it won't take very long at all to fall so far, far behind. We may never be relevant in major college football. JC, how do we get the fans informed and on board? Seems like quite a daunting task with little time to get it done. Thanks for all you do. Sincerely, Jeff. It's slowly but surely, you know, what I've found is it, it, it's just, you know, <sighs> It's just continuing to promote it. I mean, continuing to talk about it, continuing to point out what other schools are doing, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And I think that, uh, honestly, it's going to take probably some some tough recruiting decisions that don't go in favor of your school uh, if if you're not getting on board uh, to kind of wake up and say, oh, okay, you know. And and look, it's tough for me because I – Shoot, I know everybody's financial situation is different. I know that there's some bad things happening with the economy these days. We just went through COVID. I mean, there's a lot of crap out there, you know. Some people are having a hard time. Inflation, geez, price of gas, you know, and you're like, hey, this program hadn't won a whole lot in seven years, and I'm spending all this money on tickets and stuff. So, you know, spending something else that's Gamecock-oriented, you know, gets, gets a little tough regardless if it's, you know, 18 bucks a month or whatever, you know, and hopefully more, but I've found slowly, but surely, you know, and here, here's another thing too, about the collectives, uh, about the, you know, myself and, and the other one, we, you know, we're kind of, you know, the idea is to use your platform with the website to, to go and build a robust collective. Right. Uh, and we do different things. They do content, content oriented stuff that they produce or whatever with the players and they have a database where you can give directly to the players or whatever. And then mine's more promotions and and with a rotating cycle of businesses that, you know, I'm going to hook up the players with quick and easy NIL deals to do. Um, And then we're going to have gear and stuff like that. Special events, VIP tailgates for our donor our members. And that's that. So, so there's there's differences between the two, but what what's similar is is the platform. You know, we we're not fundraisers, right? We're website publishers. Now we got a tremendous platform and access to fans. Uh, but my whole thing going into this was power in numbers. You know, power in the Gamecock fans numbers. You know, like I said, twenty five hundred in the eighteen oh one club is a half a million a year. It's not bad. Um, double that, that's over a million dollars. You know, in, in, in don't, and you know, you, you get to that point, don't let the stupid, you know, well, okay, so if I had a million dollars right now, right, with, you know, Carolina Rise, you know, I'd, I'd feel very, very happy. <laughs> um, because I, I think that's probably about enough if you're South Carolina. Uh, probably two to five million in a collective would be enough a year. Uh, just because 
the very egregious $30 million a year people and that crowd, they're not going to be able to, in my opinion, you know, and look, that may change. You know, let's say A&M goes and wins a national championship. Tennessee wins a national championship. I'll admit I was wrong and that I underestimated the drive of some of these guys that they get that much money. But I also know they're high school kids. And so the chances of that, I mean, like some of them are going to be fine. Some of them are not. So uh, I, I just do not know. Um, and so, you know, there we go uh, about that. So we'll see, you know, but but I, I think if you're South Carolina, if you have between two and five million for, for NIL, you know, that would that would work for you very well. You know, so so you, I'm, you're not you know you're not looking for the thirty million deal because what you do is with with two to five million, you, you know you probably end up uh, being very attractive to players in the state, keeping those guys at home. Um, you're probably able to go attract, you know, close enough talent from the other ones, and, and then you maintain, you know, some sense of you know, okay, well, this is some money, but it's not life-changing money. This helps, but as you know, in some sense of these guys getting in and working and and doing well, I I think the thirty million dollar payroll is asinine. You know, it's kind of like in baseball when you have a team like like the Mets do this sometimes. They'll they'll spend all this money and it's like, yeah, we're we're seventy five and eighty seven or whatever. Uh, I feel like that's the kind of outcomes we're looking at. And see, this is all about outcomes. It's all about winning football games, right? I think people have lost track of that. I think I think some people are more obsessed with winning signing day than football games. You know, so they go brag to their buddies. And it's probably because, you know, you have, what, 30 recruits, 25 to 30 recruits every year, and you only have, what, 12 regular season games. So you have 30 more opportunities to brag to your buddies. Is that what it's about? But, yeah, uh, look, Jeff, you want to help me out, spread the word. I am actually going to – or help – not help me out. Help Carolina out, right? Uh, I'm going to send you the link to Carolina Rallies uh, and spread the word. I'm going to say thanks for the email. Spread the word on CRS. There you go. There we go. Jake says, this is the last question, by the way. It's been a long episode. Glad to be back with you guys here. Last day of May. As a Gamecock fan who lives in the volunteer state, why do you think Tennessee will never see us as a real threat to them? Well, because, I mean, as a threat, I don't know. You know, Carolina, when they lost, shoot, they shouldn't have lost 2020 either. You know, when they, when they lost during that time where Tennessee was not all that good and they were kind of building, Butch Jones, all of, for some reason, champions of life, Butch Jones owned, was 2-0 and against Steve Spurrier, which is amazing, uh, and then beat Sean Elliott's one team by three. You know, but then Muschamp owned him, which is weird. Uh, you know, I that was a missed opportunity, I think, to really put some distance uh, in that uh, in that rivalry or that, that annual game, because you know Carolina 
2010, they won in 2011, they won in 2012. You know, you win even the next two, five in a row, you lose during the interim year, the Muschamp comes back. All of a sudden you're looking at eight of nine. But the series hasn't gone that way. You know, it's been kind of even. And some of those years were some of the best – the best years of Carolina football and the worst years of Tennessee. So I don't know. I just don't know uh, about it. So he so, so that's why they don't see you as a threat because, you know, and look, I don't think they see Kentucky as a threat either, which is crazy because Kentucky's been a lot better than them, but Kentucky loses to them all the time. So throughout the last 10 years or so, we have been about even, if not better, agreed. Obviously, I have a better history, but if there's one program, I think you need to permanently take over. I think it has to be Tennessee. I agree. There's only room for only one of us to play a prominent role in the conference. Sure, Missouri and Kentucky have been good at times recently, but I still think after Florida and Georgia, either us or Tennessee have the facilities and support to become the third team consistently in the East. Bottom line, I can hope we prioritize beating the balls in all sports. Thoughts? Love the pod. Thanks, Jake. I think Tennessee – Annually, and I've said this before, after Georgia and Clemson on the schedule, it's the most important game. Always has been. Uh, and there's reasons for that. To go back to recruiting in the 90s, uh, the proximity, the fact that uh, you're right. You know, Tennessee goes down, South Carolina can go up. Now, look, we're, we're probably about to enter a period where the Vols and Gamecocks don't play each other every year. They're in different divisions and all that. So we'll. We'll see how that shakes out. But as the things stand today, look, and this year the Tennessee game, for whatever reason, is the week before Clemson at williams Bryce in November. That's a that's pretty late. It's usually in late October, and then sometimes it's toward the beginning of the season. But, you know, I, I think it's an important game. It was important last year. It was important in 2020 when they opened. It was important in 2019 when they blew it. You know, it's important, no matter how good or bad Tennessee is. You know, so that, that is an important game. And, you know, it, it's it's Carolina's turn to win if, you know, history tells us anything because it's been a three – it's been three, 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 three. And uh, now we're back – it's Carolina's turn. And it's at home. So we'll see uh, – see what happens with that but you're right I, I you know I, I do think that you know the University of Tennessee is an important game for South Carolina uh every single year you know and, and the Vols fans aren't gonna you know it's not South Carolina's not gonna register especially when things are going well with them you know and so uh I mean you know I, I get it. I used to live in Nashville I know a lot of Vols they they like beating the Gamecocks you know but they're not you know, they get fired up about playing Georgia and Alabama, Auburn, and teams like that, Florida, you know, obviously. But, you know, it's a nice little series. South Carolina game is a nice little series. Right? It's, uh, like you said, 6-6, six, six, last 12. So, then as the Gamecocks turn up at bat because Tennessee's won three in a row, and that's how the series is going. It, it's been very unique, too, in terms of the closeness of the games. I mean, usually a close game. Now, the last two trips to Knoxville haven't been, but it's usually a close game. All right, all the time we have today on Inside the Gamecocks Podcast, I'm J.C. Sherbert. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, more to come. Hopefully, tune into the thebigspur.com, and hopefully uh, I get my patio built. 
All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate all of you. And uh, talk to you soon.